Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today, we are joined by Lynn Mooney and Sarah Hollenbeck, co-owners of Women and Children First, one of the largest feminist bookstores in the country. Women and Children First started as a modest storefront in 1979 and moved to its current location at 5233 North Clark in 1990. Welcome. Thank you for joining us, Lynn and Sarah. How are you both today? Doing well, thanks. Really well, thanks. Well, we're so glad you're here, and we wanted to kind of start out by talking about both of your professional backgrounds. So you both had different professional backgrounds. Lynn, you were the store manager and had been at the store for six years before purchasing the business, and Sarah, you were a bookseller prior to purchase. Can you tell us a little bit more about your professional histories? Before working at the store, I had worked in the book publishing industry for about 25 years. Um, I was always on the editorial side of things, and I worked for some major publishers, including HarperCollins and McGraw-Hill. Um, but more, most recently, toward the end of that, I had been a freelancer, and that's when I started working part-time at the bookstore. All right, and I had more of a hodgepodge um, path to this job. I worked as a bookseller both at um, Women and Children First and before that at larger corporate bookstores like Barnes & Noble and Borders. Um, Both of those weren't a good fit for me, so I was so lucky to find a home in an independent bookstore. Um, And before that, I worked at a small small publisher called Independent Publishers Group here in Chicago. Um, I also had crazy jobs that you have in your 20s, like... um, screening obituaries for an online obituary site <laughs> um, and things like that and, until that eventually led me to turn into what you wanted job. to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you both acquired women and children first in 2014 what changes have you made to the store over the last four years and what are your hopes for the future um, well, you know, Women and Children First had a very strong foundation when we purchased the store, so we just had to build on that, that foundation. We have expanded the um, number of events and programming we have in the store. We've also skewed a little bit younger, I would say, in our events and programming. Um, had um, some more experimental poets and and younger poets and and different uh, forms that we've had um, showcased in our events programming. We've also did a giant renovation of the store when we um, first purchased it. Um, What else have we done? A whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, one of our primary goals from the beginning was to update the store's vision of feminism, to focus on more current events and um, have a a more intersectional perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a high priority of ours. And um, in reaching out to customers, both old and new, um, that definitely was a direction they wanted to see the store go into. Yeah, I think we had a lot of, um, there are a lot of misconceptions about what feminism is. So we really did a lot of work to try and expand um, what the the public's idea of what a feminist bookstore is and who it serves. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I mean, that leads us to our next question, you know, which kind of addresses on your website's frequently asked questions page, what is a feminist bookstore? Do you only sell books by women? Can you tell us a little bit more about how you responded to that and why having a feminist bookstore is important? I think one way to answer that is to shine a light a little bit on the history of the store. Uh, when the founders of the store, Ann and Linda, um, decided to open Women and Children first in 1979, they did that in part because when they were studying English as graduate students, they were often unable to find any or much of the books by women writers that they wanted to study. And it was a time when, you know, before the internet, before Amazon, so if your li local library or your local bookstore didn't carry the work of a certain individual or a certain entire group, then you would never be exposed to those voices and those ideas. So the um, feminist bookstore movement in the late 70s and early 80s came out of that, um, trying to make sure that cutting edge voices and women's voices, you know, just 50% of the population, that's all, um, <laughs> got attention and were, um, you know, readers could access those books. So that was the beginning vision for our store and also many other feminist bookstores that were founded around that time. And I would just say that we really pride ourselves on being an intersectional feminist bookstore. And what that means is that we acknowledge and celebrate all the ways that the different isms are connected. So how racism and ableism and sexism are all inter interconnected. You have seen an uptick in traffic and sales since the election of our current president. And I'm sure the store has provided a refuge for folks who are struggling in this turbulent political time. How does your feminist mission play a part in all this? Yes, we um, definitely, uh, the day after the election was a very emotional day for all of us in the store. And that first day, I would say, a lot of our customers came in just for a hug um, and to, as you say, um, find solace in the stacks. Um, and then we had to, as the store, decide what the next step was after that comfort and that solace. How did we inspire and motivate people towards activism? And so how do we curate our books and our events in order to, um, to provide that, that inspiration? And that's part of feminism, right? Is to spur people, give them the tools to become engaged activists in their world and, and motivate them to believe that they can make a difference. I would say too though that um, self-care and community building are important parts of that and again that very first day, I mean I think I speak for many people when I say I would have done anything for it to have turned out differently, um, but that very first day um, there were such great conversations in the store mm -hmm. and um, you know it, it kind of makes my scalp tingle even now as I'm talking about it. There were customers that day who brought us gifts and brought us food because they were worried about us and how devastated we must be. Um, and I think that's partly just a testament to how wonderful so many of our customers are. But it was validating too because it meant to me that we really had reached them on a on a important and real level, um, and that you know we had been giving and doing things for them and continue to 
but they saw it as a chance to give something back to us and we were we were just so moved and touched by that I like uh, solace in the stacks. I think that would make a great yeah. That's a great anthology of you know or a movie of, even right. um, mm. about how bookstores have kind of helped people through this time. So, I'm speaking of community. We recently had Jean Kate, owner of Martha May, on the podcast, and she said she chose Andersonville for her shop. Um, based on she went into Women and Children First and she said, well, this neighborhood is made. How does an independent bookstore benefit a neighborhood, a community, and Chicago as a whole? Well, we have an interesting history in that we were actually recruited to settle in this neighborhood in order to build the neighborhood, right? So the... um, the idea was that this neighborhood, this neighborhood needed a hub, a community hub, and a bookstore was the perfect space for, for that. Um, and then we saw that happen. We, um, well, I didn't. I wasn't around, but I hear the owners, the co-founders of the store, saw the neighborhood um, grow around them and really flourish. And I think it's. Oh, great deal. Like, due to the events and the programming, um, we just draw a lot of foot traffic, a lot of conversation, a lot of eye contact, a lot of um, positive, um, positive community spirit in, in the neighborhood. Well, being part of and giving back to the community has always been a priority for you both. The Women's Voices Fund was established in November of 2005 to help support feminist programming at Women and Children First. Tell us more about that fund and what the experience has been like. Um, Anne and Linda, uh, our co-founders, created the Women's Voices Fund when it was becoming difficult to actually have events. Events cost quite a bit of money for um, the publicity and also the books themselves um, and and all sorts of different factors that arise when you plan an event. But they knew that events were a crucial part of the mission of the store. Um, so they developed this nonprofit arm through the Crossroads Foundation that would make events possible. Um, we've built on on the Women's Voices Fund, it is kind of still um, uh, a little bit piecemeal. We just pass a can around at every event <laughs> and ask people to throw a dollar or two in the can. But all, all that money goes to um, so making sure that we are able to bring celebrity authors with an established, established reputation to the store, as well as more marginalized authors who haven't found their home yet and haven't found their audience. So it's crucial to um, the mission of, of a feminist bookstore to make sure that those who are most at risk, most marginalized, that their books are, are celebrated alongside the great authors who, who are well-established. Yeah, that's one of the parts of the legacy we inherited in buying the store that I'm most grateful for. Anna and Linda knew from the very beginning that getting authors in front of their readers was such an important part of their mission. Um, whether it's children meeting someone who writes for a living, or you know the grown-ups, uh, you know. Even to this day, Amazon has never brought anyone's favorite author to their neighborhood or their um, their town. And that's one of the roles, that's one of the points of difference that any independent bookstore can provide for their community and their readers. 
And as uh, Sarah was saying, there are so many important social issues and economic issues that begin in tiny ways. And now in the era of social media, it's a little different. But for many years, you know, teeny tiny little nonprofit presses would take a chance on an author with an interesting new idea who was really pushing the assumptions of society. And we were the kind of store that that teeny tiny publisher could send that author to, that we would help them find an audience for those that writer and, the, and their ideas. And um, we you know, continue that work to this day. It changes and evolves. The kinds of events we do have changed. More and more we end up having um, writers in conversation with each other rather than just someone standing stiffly in front of the room you know, reading from their own work. Um, but you know, as those evolutions happen, you know, we're, we're delighted to be at the forefront of that. So speaking of that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your favorite author visits that have come through the shop? Sure. Um, there are so many to choose from that this is a very difficult question. Um, we, um, if you walk into the store and turn around right above the entrance of the bookstore, you'll see um, portraits, black and white portraits of all of the well, not all, but most notable authors who have um, visited the store and actually read inside the store. Um, a bookseller who used to work for us actually made those portraits, and we just cherish them so much. So you'll see Margaret Atwood and Amy Tan and um, Maya Angelou. Um, Eve Ensler, um, yeah. Alice Monroe, Hillary Clinton. Um, and it's a, it's a gallery of, of stellar women writers, poets, performers, um, political activists that we continue to build on. Um, that collection of 12 or 15 portraits, I forget how many now, um, was actually one of the most, I'd say, tender things that Sarah and I did in the handoff um, when we bought the store from the founders. We actually sat down a, a couple of times together and decided which of those authors that they'd hosted over 35 years, basically, that we wanted to sort of profile in that way. So as a collaborative process, it, I think it said a lot about the store and our mission and how we work, um, but it was also a wonderful way to um, you know, shine a light on the fabulous work Anne and Linda had done uh, preceding us. Yeah, and we like to joke that eventually those portraits aren't going to go all the way around the store. Um, and so one one portrait that I would like to add from one of my favorite events was um, when we hosted Roxanne Gay for her book, Bad Feminist. It's an amazing essay collection that I highly recommend. We didn't really anticipate how large that event was going to be. She had just hit the scene. So we decided to have that event in the store in 2014, I want to say. Sounds right. Um, and it was so packed. It was wall to wall. No one could really move. Um, but it was just a fabulous, a fabulous event. We didn't even give her a microphone at first when it started because we didn't realize the crowd. But she um, is one of my favorite authors. Um, and one of the things I remember most about that event was how compassionately and um, 
thoroughly. She answered each of the audience's questions, and I really value that in an author who is honest and personal in their responses to the Q&A, because that can be done very poorly, or it can be done with a lot of heart, and she does it with more heart than any author I know. I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit. One of my favorite uh, events that we've hosted was about a year after that, I think, and it was a conversation between Roxanne Gay and Gloria Steinem. Um, this was not held at the store. We knew that one would, was going to be too big, um, so we held it at a nearby uh, church on Lawrence. But um, to it just felt like such an important historic occasion to have these two sort of pillars of the feminist movement representing different generations sitting side by side on, on a stage talking together. Um, and I think pretty much every one of the 1,100 people in the audience that night found it to be something they'll always remember. Maybe we can um, go back and talk about the day-to-day -day operations of the store. Um, how do you split the responsibilities? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I am in charge of all the events and programming, publicity, marketing um, for the store. Um, and that includes social media, which we didn't really think about how that, when you add the social media component, it becomes like a 24-hour job because you, as you both know, get so many messages, so many um, different ways to interact with your public when you open up the door of social media. Um, so I handle um, that. Um, and then I also do some of the book buying, adult book buying, um, for some of the smaller publishers and one of the larger publishers. And I do most of the rest of the book buying. Um, starting out, I was pretty much ordering all the front list titles. And um, being a little older and having been through the ringer a few more times in work life, perhaps, than Sarah had, I cried uncle first and said, this is too much. I need help. Um, and so um, Sarah, along with our fabulous, fabulous store manager, Jamie, have also started doing frontless book buying, doing it more and more and doing a fabulous job at it. So I think I can just barely say I'm still doing the most of it, but I don't know, that might not even technically be true anymore. But that is my primary responsibility, is ordering the books. <laughs> and do you guys have a similar management style in terms of you're handling your employees and hmm. navigating that? Well, we do have a store manager who does um, uh, most of the human resources type um, responsibilities. Um, but then we um, oversee how that is done um, and often delegate um, some of that those um, responsibilities to her when the when it arises. I think besides being a feminist bookstore, we also try to be a feminist workplace, mm -hmm. um, which is challenging and, and hard, well worth doing. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it any other way, um, but it's not the kind of place where we can say, oh, I'm the co-owner, so we're <laughs> going to do it my way or the highway. That's just not the kind of workplace we are. Um, we learn every day, we get better every day, and we're certainly not perfect. Um, but so much of the value of the store actually comes from our staff. Mm -hmm. um, they have such, they're such a smart group. They have such great experience and fabulous ideas. 
I, I can't imagine we would be the store we are if um, just saying two-way communication, I mean, it just undersells it. But mm-hmm. I, I like them to know that we not only want their input, but we need it. We're better for it, and we wouldn't be who we are without it. Yes, having come from a corporate bookstore background, having worked at the larger chain bookstores, it's so such a stark contrast working in an independent store because when you want to sell a book, you can say, I want to sell this book to Lynn or myself, and we will add it to the order and make sure that it comes in. No matter how long you've worked at the store, we could have just hired you, and if you think it's a, a good fit, we'll, we'll trust you, and that's, you know, such a difference from working at a larger, larger institution, so. And you've recently been able to offer your employees uh, health insurance, and you're very proud of that. Do you want to speak to what that experience has been like? It was, it was one of our goals. Um, we've been fortunate the last couple of years that um, we've been breaking even or turning a little bit of a profit. And our gut instinct was that we needed to spend that money reinvesting in our staff. Um, and it's, it's not easy being at the beginning of your career arc these days. And um, you know we know how med- medical costs can be so devastating to individuals and how people in their 20s get caught in this gap where they're not earning enough really to, to do much for themselves in the way of health insurance, but they can no longer get help from their parents. So it was just a really high priority for us. Um, and it was such a relief when we were able to offer it. Um, and several mm-hmm. staffers are taking advantage and that's how we wanted it. Mm-hmm. So we are going to um, ask you to preview a big event that's coming to the store on October 21st. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what to expect? Sure, we'd be glad to. We are so thrilled to welcome uh, Chelsea Clinton to the store on October 21st at 1 o'clock. She'll be signing books. Her new book is for young readers, um, best for 7 to 12-year-olds. Um, it's an activism guide um, for that age group, um, um, inspiring them to get involved in their communities. The book is called Start Here, um, and she'll be signing um, books for about two hours um, at the store. Um, tickets are selling very fast, so I would highly recommend that if you want to um, attend, that you buy, um, buy a ticket. The cool thing about, I mean, it's an amazing event, but what's really wonderful is that Chelsea has decided that one ticket admits four people. So that's the whole family can attend for the price of the ticket, which is um, pretty nominal. So, um, and that includes the book as well. So it's just a really wonderful opportunity. Yeah, we're just so excited to be hosting her. Um, she will not be signing books written by either of her parents, um, <laughs> but she will be positioned in our store in a place where if she looks up, she will see a portrait of her mother in our kind of gallery of highlighted authors. Um, and if she doesn't notice it, we will be sure to point it out. So we feel like we have a certain relationship and um, we were so thrilled to find out that we were her Chicago location on this tour. Yeah, I think she'll actually be signing books at the same table that her mom was signing books. So that's really beautiful. Yeah. 
And Hillary Clinton was born at the Edgewater Hospital. That's so. right. You mentioned that in one of the previous podcasts. We did. We did. <laughs> yes. Um, also, we know you're celebrating 40 years in 2019. Any big events in the works for our listen- that our listeners should know Ooh, about? Lynn's <laughs> holding up the logo. It looks so beautiful. We'll have to show a preview of it on the notes. Uh, we're working with a local designer, um, Judith Sizey, who's done a lot of work for us um, over the years um, to do a special 40th anniversary version of our logo. Um, and I think we're thinking of it as a year-long celebration. There may be one or two special events in the middle of the year um, to be determined, um, perhaps a party, um, but don't hold me to that quite yet. Um, but around the holidays this year, Christmas time, we'll be rolling out some um, bling with the 40th anniversary logo that um, we'll continue to use throughout the year. And uh, maybe we'll do a little something every month just mm-hmm. to shine a light on our history and, and um, our relationship with this neighborhood. Yeah, we do hope that it's a year-long celebration, and we're working with a local videographer to make a video in an homage to the store's history as well. So if you no longer live in Chicago or Andersonville, you can still see, um, you know, see what we've accomplished over the years and be a part of the celebration from afar, and we'll post that video um, on all of our social media. <laughs> Well, that is so exciting. Um, We are at the point in the podcast where we like to ask both of you, if you had the opportunity to switch places with an Andersonville business for a day, who would you choose? It can be one or more than one. You can have the same answer or a different answer. A lot of people have chosen your store. Yes, quite a lot, actually. I think they think the job consists of reading books. So So they're just... Yeah, well... A lot of people think that. I read fewer (laughs) books now than before I did when I didn't own a bookstore. I finish fewer books. I read more, but I don't finish all of them. And I used to always finish books. I'd have to say George's ice cream for reasons that involve chocolate, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... uh, Oh, my favorite place to eat is actually a taste of Lebanon, which I just, is nothing better than their falafel wrap and their lentil soup. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's why I want to work all day, but I want to eat that every day. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. While Sarah's thinking, I'll throw in Taste of Heaven because they do have the best scones in the world. They do have oh. delicious scones. Yes. Um... Oh, you know, actually, one of my favorite shops is Far North, um, Winifred Grace. I love her, how she curates her store, and I spend a lot of time in there talking to her um, and shopping. Um, so I would love to work for Winnie. And how about, what books are you currently reading? <laughs> what are your staff recommendations? Sure. <laughs> I'm currently reading um, a book by Barbara Kingsolver that's coming out in October. It's been about five years since she had a novel. Um, so the publisher, uh, her publisher, HarperCollins, is very excited that she has a new novel coming out. And it's pretty great. Um, it's called Unsheltered. And it's recognizably Barbara Kingsolver, but a mashup of her early work and her more recent work in that there are two story threads one current and one historical. 
I'm very excited for that book. Um, I'm also currently reading Rebecca Solnit's new essay collection, Call Them By Their Names. Um, it's her brilliant uh, political critique, but it um, comes at the core issues that are troubling the American politics through the lens of language and um, looking at, you know, just looking at it all through the actual words that we use when we talk about evil. So it's fabulous. I would highly recommend it. Um, I also have to plug my favorite novel. Um, well, I have two favorite novels right now. One of them is by a local um, uh, Chicago author, Rebecca Mackay. Her new novel, The Great Believers, takes place in Chicago. Um, most of the book is um, set in the 1980s during the AIDS crisis. Um, I just think it's a required reading for all Chicagoans to really understand how devastated um, the city was during those years. We talk about the AIDS crisis in, in terms of San Francisco and New York, and Chicago often gets lost in that conversation. So I love that book. I also love me and Barack Obama. Our favorite novels of this past year are um, An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. It's just a fabulous um, novel um, that focuses on the marriage of a young couple, young African-American couple, and the husband is um, incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit, um, and it's their letters, their love letters, from him in prison and her um, out on the outside, and you watch them struggle to make their marriage work through this really difficult time. It's just a fantastic, beautiful novel, and I'd highly recommend it. And Sarah, are you personally working on anything Oh no! I wish I, I wish I was. Um, I wish I had time to write these days, but I do not. But thank you for asking. Sure. <laughs> well, thank you, Lynn and Sarah, for being here, and thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Women and Children First, please visit womenandchildrenfirst.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.